You're listening to the Maximum Advisor Podcast, a show that empowers financial advisors to set goals, take action, and grow their practice. Your host, Chip Munn, is an award-winning advisor and CEO whose advice is regularly featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, and The Streets Retirement Daily. Listen in as he sits down with industry experts to talk about building a practice and making an impact. Welcome back to Maximum Advisor. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today we'll be taking a look back at Season 4. You know, they say time flies when you're having fun, and I can certainly attest to that when it comes to interviewing cool people. That's definitely true. You know, this season we got to talk to some experts as well as real-life advisors about a range of topics, and I even got to be a little diagnostic with a new format that we call Hot Seats. Here are a few of my favorite moments. First up is Matt Teal. You know, Matt is an advisor who transitioned his practice in the middle of COVID from a broker-dealer that he had worked at, a wirehouse for 21 years, into the independent space. And in this episode, Matt and I talk about why he decided to make a change from a firm that he had been at for 21 years. My name is Matt Teal. I'm in High Point, North Carolina, the furniture capital of the world. Lived here since 2002. Got into the industry in 1999 in Charlotte, North Carolina, as the department head for annuities and insurance for what was then small regional broker-dealer, Interstate Johnson Lane. And through the mergers, the acquisitions, the consolidation in the industry, found myself at a large wirehouse firm. And until recently, had spent 21 years there, all at one firm. And then, as you said, made the decision to make a transition this summer. And here I am today. So, Matt, it's unusual to some extent, or, or maybe it is, that somebody would spend their entire career with a company and then after 20 plus years decide to make a change. How hard was that for you in terms of making that decision? It's a great question. And in fact, as I talked to clients through this transition, so many of them, when I told them about starting new or starting fresh, they talked about some said, gosh, Matt, I just figured you were a lifer at your former firm. You had been there long, so long. And yet I could say I wasn't there my entire career. In fact, what happened, Chip, was I wasn't necessarily looking to go anywhere else. And in fact, it was hard because after 21 years, I used to say, I'm institutionalized, right? I know the way to do things. I'm very comfortable with the good and the bad of the process. There's very little that I don't know how to get done or be familiar with. And I was very comfortable, I will say, where I was in the sense that I was very familiar with the status quo. So when you started the process, what was it that was kind of the catalyst for you looking to make a change? Because a lot of times, I talk a lot about there being a difference between leaving from, you know, somewhere that you're unhappy and leaving to, to go and do something different. What changed? Right. Yeah. What was the catalyst? That's what a lot of clients asked. And it's interesting the way you asked that question, Chip, because it was really a combination of both, right? When you've been somewhere 21 years, there's often something that changes or happens that says it's time to go, but then that's not enough. You need to think of 
where you want to go to as well. And for me, I joined in High Point, North Carolina over 18 years ago as a junior advisor to a senior advisor in a legacy position and was groomed and brought along to be his successor. And then when he chose to retire a little over a year ago, he chose to pass his business to someone else. So that was a wake-up call for me that the plan that I had in place wasn't going to happen. And yet, just like you said, Chip, the initial reaction was leave the next day, right? But I didn't have a plan B. I hadn't been out there looking. I wasn't considering change. And to just leave, just because I was mad or upset, that just didn't make sense to me. I had way too many clients, too many relationships, and too much invested in who I was and how I did things. And so really, that was the first catalyst that said it was time to go. But then I spent a significant amount of time, and I'm so glad I did, probably the better part of 10 months evaluating and looking at the choices and allowed myself to take the time to feel like if I'm going to make a change, A, it needs to be better, and B, it needs to be the right place because I don't want to make a change and then to feel like two, three years later, I want to make a change again. In other words, once I was ready, it was then to find a place that I felt like I could be at for 20 years. Next up is Josh Ackerman. Josh is an advisor. He's the first of our hot seat episodes. And in this episode, Josh and I spent some time talking about how he had inherited a legacy insurance practice and how he was beginning to, and we talked about some ways to begin to transition that into more of an advisory mindset and to re-engage insurance clients with kind of his new model advisory practice. Josh, you and I met via social media. So you had heard one of the podcasts, asked me a question, I think on Twitter and mentioned that, yeah, that you were trying to figure some things out. So we decided we would jump on here and kind of chop it up a little bit. So uh, tell me a little bit about you, about your practice and what's going on. Well, let's see. I've been in financial services since 2006. Came into business with my father, who was a life insurance guy with Mass Mutual most of my childhood. And he was with LPL. So I did some time in the insurance world and then came over to LPL with him. And in 2016, we left LPL and started a state registered RIA and been doing that ever since. We do financial planning, investment management, and still do some insurance stuff. Awesome. So you've been doing this for 14, 15 years. Dad was in it before you. Tell me a little bit about kind of today. Where's your practice now? How many households? We don't have to get into all the guts and feathers, but just <laughs> curious in terms of kind of where things stand now and kind of you had mentioned I think in your in your message interested in kind of growing marketing kind of tell me where things are and and what the state of things now in terms of some of the measurables and then also kind of where it is you feel like you want to get to we've been and dad has said this several times so he won't mind me saying it Dad was late to figure out the value of the AUM model. So dad did a lot of insurance business 
really up until the last five, seven years. So we've got all told probably 20 million under management. And the renewal money on insurance products is not what it used to be, if there is any. So I'm looking to grow the business purely from a personal income standpoint. And our households, our book of business are some great people, but the clients are dramatically barbelled. We've got a couple of clients, five or six clients that are probably 40% of the assets. And then it drops off pretty quick after that. So I'm looking to build the business more around financial life planning. I did some training with Money Quotient. And I feel like that is the piece that is best blocked off from commoditization. Um, if I'm pay, if I'm charging for advice and a process, I'm safer from the robo advisors than if I'm charging for asset management and beating the market. Plus, I'm pretty sure I'm never going to beat the market. You're a good man for conceding that. Uh, there are a <laughs> lot of people who wouldn't want to. So tell me in terms of, all right, so in terms of assets under management, correct me if I'm wrong. You have some insurance only clients yep, and some assets under management clients or some who are both. Give me a breakdown. How many insurance only clients do you all have? Oh, boy. That's a piece that we're working on right now is there are insurance policy holders that are under my rep code with Mass Mutual. Dad gave up his insurance license four years ago. And so I got all of his clients, all of his policy holders. And I use that word advisedly because I'll explain it. There are people that were assigned to dad back in the 80s when dad was an associate general agent as orphans that have never done anything else. So it was a transactional relationship. There are insurance clients that do investments with us and do financial planning with us. And there are some investment clients who also have insurance policy. So it's kind of a mess. It takes a couple columns on an Excel spreadsheet to figure it out, right? And so we're trying to move our folks that were a transactional process. I want them out and keep anybody who wants to be involved with Context Financial and work with us. We'd love to work with them on investment needs or financial planning needs. Then we had Ashley Barnett. Ashley is a content specialist. Really interesting conversation with her about kind of insider tips, what goes into pulling together content. Yeah, how do you pick what you're going to talk about? And when you're trying to figure out what to write about, how does she, as a professional content creator, how do you pull that together? Because I think that's really something that is going to be the wave of the future for us as advisors. And I really enjoyed getting to talk to Ashley about her process. What do you find that the ideal kind of length of a blog post is? Yeah, the average blog post is 1,200 words. I usually go 1,500 words is what I'm aiming for. 
but it also depends on the topic too. If it's a very pinpoint topic, like I'm not going to be able to write 1500 words on how to tie your shoes. Right. But on the other hand, I'm going to write way more than 1500 words on what's a mutual fund. Right. So it goes with the topic, but 1500 words is a nice length of an article. I also look at the articles that are already ranking on Google for whatever topic is that I'm going to write for. No, I Google that, I pull up those articles and I see how long they are. Because right there, Google is telling us this is the best content on the internet for this keyword. So use Google's guidance to help you decide what to do. And so when you say you pull it up and kind of look at what's ranking, you literally just Google it. Yep. I mean, you're not talking about a special tool. It's just the internet. Yep. Just google.com. Just put in kind of the topic that you're thinking about writing about, maybe how to get started investing and see what comes up. Google's telling you these are the best 10 articles on the internet for this keyword. So read them, look at them, see how long they are, see what topics they hit, see if they're using charts or tables, if they have calculators. Those are all the things that Google's looking for. And then you just kind of model your articles after that. It's a great way to get ideas. I like formulas. And so being able to kind of take the best practices out of those and be able to use that as something that I can mold my content around, again, didn't necessarily know that. So I think that's a a great tool for us to be able to use that we already have. And it's nice to know that, yeah, kind of the the pros do it the same way. Do you, speaking of though, do you have any kind of specialty tools that you use to determine if I were looking for a keyword and I don't claim to be an SEO expert by any means, but when we're trying to figure out what to write about, what people are interested in, do you have any special tools or insight that you suggest on how to identify kind of our direction within a given topic? Yeah, actually, there is a free tool that I use. It's the Uber Suggest Chrome plugin, and it's free to use. There are paid tools, but they are fairly expensive. But you can do a lot with just the Uber Suggest Chrome plugin. And it gives you, when you type in something into Google, it tells you the search volume per month. So you might say, you know, how to start investing. It might get 100 searches a month or 100,000 searches a month. I don't know. But it will tell you that right there in Google. And then it also gives the domain score of each article that's ranking, each website that's ranking. So every article on the internet is ranked between one and 100, or every website is ranked between one and 100. 100 being the biggest sites out there, Facebook's a 100. And when you first start and you get started, you're a one. So you want to find keywords that get some search volume and also have sites that are ranking that are kind of close to your domain score. That's hard to do when you're first starting, but as you go along, you know, your site will grow and your domain score will rise. So if you Googled just retirement, I can't even imagine how big those sites are that are ranking. They've got to be huge. Wikipedia and Investopedia and all of those. So you might want to go for how to get started investing after 50, right? That's going to be a lot smaller. It's going to have smaller search volume, but it'll probably have smaller sites ranking for it. So it's easier to get onto Google that way. 
I got you. So one of the things that you help people do is to learn how to really put their blog together. I, I know that you do some teaching on that. I'm wondering if you'd entertain something. I, I don't know if I've ever done this. I haven't done it in a long time. Would you be open to just workshopping with me for a minute? Let's show people a process of, I'm a financial advisor. I won't put together a blog. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Had a fun time getting to talk with Benjamin Brandt. Benjamin and I got to know each other through a social media group and really have found him very fascinating. He is an advisor who spent a ton of time in the podcasting space. And by podcasting, I mean to retail investors. He's got a long track record and has used it to build his business and really enjoyed having a time talking to him about kind of how he got into podcasting, how it's helped him to grow his practice, and also a little bit about kind of is it too late for other advisors to get into podcasting now? How did you decide to get into podcasting and what's the experience been like? So I became friends with Jeff Rose. I launched my firm in 2014 and I became friends with Jeff in 2015. And he had his, his blogger course, which I loved. It's all about SEO and blogging and things like that. Full disclosure, I'm a partner in that program now. But I found out quickly that I'm not a writer. It took me like three months to write kind of like a half-ass article about Roth IRAs. And I realized that on a bad day, I'm semi-literate. So I should not be a writer, but I can talk forever. So I pivoted to podcasting. And then I said, these lessons that I learned from blogging are so really valuable. I'm actually getting traffic to my website. I'm getting local people reaching out. How can I apply those blogging lessons to podcasting? And that's what I really credit to all the success of my show. I mean, we have a top 10% most downloaded show in the world because of those blogging lessons I've been applying to podcasting for the last five years. So first, let's talk about the production. So I think that one of the things for advisors is there's a little bit of a fear that it's hard and that it's not something that they can do. Now, as I recall, you started out doing this on your own. Correct. So what was that like? What was it like to kind of get it off the ground for you? So when I first started my firm, I did not have a surplus of money, but I had a surplus of time because I only had a few clients started the firm from not quite scratch. I think we started with about 10-ish, 20-ish million dollars but almost scratched. So I think advisors either have a surplus of money or time. Well, I didn't have any money, but I did have time. So I went on YouTube. I downloaded every Pat Flynn episode from Smart Passive Income that mentioned WordPress or then after the fact, podcast, things like that. I just learned. So I learned how to edit Audacity, Pat Flynn, and also the podcast answer man, Cliff Ravenscraft. Both had a step-by-step, click-by-click how to start to do a podcast. So I did it all at no fee at all. It didn't cost me any money which is good because I didn't have any. But fast forward five years later, now all I do is press record because sitting in audacity and clicking through is not the highest and best use of my time. I pay somebody a few hundred dollars a month to edit that and I press record. I put it in my Google Drive and I do nothing else. So your podcast now you mentioned is retail. How often do you do it? What's the schedule like in terms of how often you're producing content now? So I have a weekly newsletter that I started about 70 weeks ago, and I have a weekly podcast. And now it took me years to get into the weekly. I did twice a month. I did first and 15th. It wasn't until about probably two or three years ago that I went weekly. I think we're 160 something episodes in, but I deliver every Monday morning, I put out a new podcast. 
Last year, I played repeats in December, and I'm probably going to do that again this year. So the technical aspect, as you mentioned, either you can pay somebody or you could go to YouTube, or if I'm not mistaken, and we can at least touch on this at the end, you do have a course that teaches people all these things, which I'm a big believer in pressing the fast forward, the easy button where we can, but which is, I guess, kind of a hybrid between money and time. It's not as much as paying somebody to do it, but What's well, it's funny in the course, I specifically don't teach you how to create an RSS feed and upload an MP3. And because I said way smarter people than me already have that in YouTube. What I teach in the course is everything that worked really well for blogging over the last 10 years is about to apply to podcasting over the next 10 years. And I, and I teach you how to take advantage of that. And finally, I got to spend some time with Adam Getz. Adam is with Mass Mutual and had a really cool story about coming together with a mentor, someone that he and I both had known for years, and then being able to help through an unexpected transition. He also talked a lot about kind of carrying the torch into the next generation of a client relationship. And I found that to be just a really interesting, you know, succession is one of those things that is hard for everybody involved. It's hard for the younger advisor to talk about or to bring up. And it's hard for a seasoned advisor, in a lot of cases, to want to talk about. I have a lot of experience with that, but it was interesting in getting Adam's perspective on how he's going about having that conversation. Adam, you had a chance to, if I recall correctly, be a part of a succession plan. You mentioned Jay and I know that you came to work there in that agency with him. He was a, a mentor to both of us. Can you tell a little bit of the story about kind of what happened and how that developed? Sure. That still kind of strikes me on a daily basis, kind of how that came together. The, the Jay was a 20-plus year rep with Mass Mutual, very old school, limited. His investment work consists of American Funds A shares and you know doing term and small whole life policies, but a lot of them. And he had the most grabbed following by his clients and they loved him and he was such a unique force of nature and from very early on stage i remember looking back that i really thought coming to a new city starting my practice in pittsburgh i had no tie to the, the local area that i really thought it'd be much more of hey here's you know 20 names go give these people a call and set it up and it never really was that but in hindsight i realized i learned so much more by learning kind of his mental side of the game understand how he treated clients and, and just how we were brought to the table. Jay, unfortunately, got fairly sick and passed away suddenly about seven years ago now. Uh, so thankfully, we had a succession agreement in place. Uh, and that helped in many different angles. His family was taken care of to monetize the asset that he had built in his 30-plus year career at that point in time. Myself, I was able to walk into a lot of new relationships pick up a lot of new expense too by taking on his staffing and lease obligations, everything else. But the biggest thing was for his clients and just getting continuity there. And though everyone was shocked and, you know, just still, you know, pains to this day of, of not having Jay in their lives, the ability to have someone to carry the torch and not have them, you know, maybe early in retirement of going back out to market and find a new advisor and a whole different philosophy and approach to everything. No one wants to do that. If you can come and make it easy for the client, and I, I don't care what, what area you're coming from, but any financial advisor, people work with us and not go directly to the internet because we're a translator. 
we translate all the noise out there. We want to make it easy. I tell my people, I want to be a local call away for any financial concern you have. I want to translate all the BS out there and make sure that they, they know how to translate, that this is how you make sure you're, you're properly arranged from a, uh, you know, just a protection standpoint, retirement standpoint, succession standpoint, whatever that might be, that they know that one person is looking out for that. and Everyone's got enough other things on their plate that they need to know that they trust you as a professional. You're translating that and they get the heck out of the way. There we have it. Another great season. I want to take a minute to thank you for spending time with me. You know, as a financial advisor, I know you're busy and your time's really valuable. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate you choosing to invest a part of it with me. Recently, I've had some listeners ask how I might be able to help them grow. So if you're a financial advisor with between 50 and 250 million in assets under management, and you really want to take your business to the next level, chances are you have tremendous untapped potential right inside your business. So whenever you're ready, here are three ways that I can help. First, you can be a guest on the Maximum Advisor podcast. We're going to be doing more hot seat episodes. And so if you'd have an interest in coming on, spending some time with me, giving me an opportunity to maybe help you with whatever your biggest issue is or the thing that you're wanting to get past in your practice for growth, just shoot me an email and put hot seat in the subject line. Second, we put together a course on my entire basis method. It is a self-paced course that walks you through my proprietary system for building, growing, and scaling a practice. I put it all together in such a way that it is really a walkthrough of how I do all the different things that's taken our practice from 300 million to 1.9 billion in the last five years. So if you want more time, freedom, and money out of your practice, shoot me an email, just put course, in the subject line, I'll be happy to get you some information on that. And then finally, I've had quite a few people ask me about working together one-on-one. -on -one. I am currently working with a small group of advisors that want to grow their practice. If you're curious about what it would be like to work with someone who is you know, both a coach to advisors, but who is actually an advisor who still does it day-to-day, just shoot me an email. Again, the email for all three of these is chip at maximumadvisor.com and just put one-on-one -on -one in the subject line. I'll send you a link so that we can schedule a 30-minute Zoom call just to see whether or not there would be a fit. And that's it. That's a wrap on season four. Just wanted to say again, thank you. And I look forward to seeing you back for season five. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com scorecard now. Join the conversation in our private Maximum Advisor Facebook group. And subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.